0: There's something that I wanted to read before we got into Proverbs, but um, let's take a look. at. Let's go to Proverbs, and then I want to read this to you here. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 8. We're in the chapter that is the longest chapter of personification in the Bible. Wisdom has been described as a lady, and she is speaking... Wise things, good things, important things. And the reason why we're studying this chapter is because when we get to this portion right here, we can see a lot of similarities with Jesus Christ and the attributes of wisdom. The reason why we're studying this is because I see a great lack of biblical wisdom in a lot of the things that are being sold as wisdom material. I was just talking to some kids before we went live tonight about a church ministry that they were involved in and how everything felt really good. There was good music. There was uh, motivating preaching. But after a while, it began to really reveal itself as something that was fake. It seemed like it was all thrown together, like it was being directed. Like at the end, there'd be a director that would say, cut, that's a wrap. And then they'd go to edit for their social media and all that kind of stuff. And that's not something that is uncommon. And I was listening to a podcast recently because there have been four instances between Monday and today where I have been challenged on the word repent. And it just reminds me how important it is to properly define words and how dangerous poor teaching can be. And so I was listening to Dr. Charlie Bing. He was doing a great podcast. By the way, if you are a podcast person, look him up. I think his podcast is called Simply by Grace. It's got a blue background with a silver microphone. And listen to episode number 186, which is the most recent one, called The Bible Teaches You Can Have Full Assurance. It drove me to this book, which I bought a couple of years ago when we had the Free Grace Alliance here. Uh, with Grant Holly, and it's called Freely by His Grace Classical Free Grace Theology. It's about 600 pages. It's not a novel, it's not light reading. This is a lot of textual support. Why do we believe in dispensationalism? What is the nature of saving faith? All that kind of stuff. And Dr. Richard Seymour, who is a Florida Bible College graduate, wrote about 30 pages on the word repent. And in his writing, he quotes this statement from Lewis Berry Schaefer. He's the founder and first president of Dallas Theological Seminary, which has gone very Calvinist, by the way. John MacArthur, John Piper, R.C. Sproul have been welcomed into Dallas, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, and so a lot of people are learning Calvinism from, a, from their young age. I'm going to read this quote to you about repentance. I want you to follow along. It's a little lengthy. I think it's very important, especially when we're going to study wisdom. And if we get to all that we need to get to tonight, so be it. If not, I know the guy who's in charge And we can always do something next week. But listen to this. Repentance, which is a change of mind, is included in believing. No individual can turn to Christ from some other confidence without a change of mind. And that, it should be noted, is all the repentance a spiritually dead individual can ever affect. Now, that's where total depravity goes off the rails. Total depravity says you are so dead that you can't even make a decision to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. That's an over-extrapolation of God's sovereignty and undervaluing God's sovereignty that he's given man a free will. Sperry uh, uh, Schaefer continues, therefore, it is as dogmatically stated as language can declare. How about that? He's saying as clear as the language is itself, That repentance is essential to salvation, and that none could be saved apart from repentance, but it is included in believing and could not be separated from it. I do not reject that a person has to repent in order to be saved. What is to be rejected is what does it mean to repent? The word is used a lot in the Bible, 112 times. 87% of the time in the Old Testament. It's described as God doing that. And not, it's not, not talking about that he's turning from something. Most of the time, it's, he's lamenting. And then all the uses in the New Testament all talk about a change of mind. And in some cases, there is the word irrevocable that is translated in a different word as repent. And it is safe to say, back to Schaefer here, that few errors have caused so much hindrance to salvation of the lost than the practice of demanding them an anguish of soul before faith in Christ can be exercised. Since such emotions cannot be produced at will, the way of salvation has thus been made impossible for all that do not experience required anguish. What's he talking about here? You've got to be so sad, so beside yourself, so evidently moved by your sin before you can get saved. You know, in Matthew, when the parable of the seed and the sower is described the second category that falls away they received the word with joy now they didn't take root means they didn't go on to spiritual maturity but they received the word in joy romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says that faith in christ generates peace with god this error results in another serious misdirection of the unsaved namely one in which they are encouraged to look inward at themselves and not away to Christ as Savior. This is why so many people deal with assurance of salvation. Am I sorry enough? Have I turned from enough? It points people back to themselves and away from Jesus. Back to the quote here, salvation is made to be conditioned on feelings and not on faith. Likewise, people are led by this error to measure the validity of their salvation by the intensity of anguish which preceded or accompanied it. It is in this manner that sorrow of heart becomes a most subtle form of work and to that extent a contradiction of grace. That's pretty good. I really like that. That's somebody who is... He, most college students and in seminary will study Schaefer, but then they will have professors that undercut the truth of what that man said and it's not some great wisdom that Schaefer possessed that's biblical that's what the Bible teaches and it's so important that now as we get into our study in Proverbs we recognize the value of biblical wisdom biblical discernment another phrase that comes to my mind is James chapter 3 not many of you should be masters that means teachers not everybody who's got a voice should be broadcasting their interpretation of God's Word because it leads to confusion i'm and i'm talking mass confusion where it 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 changes how people look at salvation for the rest of their lives i know people that are still they've been saved for 10 something years and they still struggle with what they used to be told about being sorry for sin and turning from sin i am so glad and so thankful that somebody i trusted respectfully in my family my uncle got a hold of me when I was hearing that kind of teaching at the Baptist church I was growing up in. That's, he told me the truth. That biblical repentance has nothing to do with a change of action. It has to do with the change of your mind. Pick up here on chapter 8 in verse 11. We stopped on verse 10 last week. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared with it. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. And this is where I want to talk for a little bit. If you want to see if you have a proper, healthy fear of the Lord, you ask yourself, do I hate evil, pride, and arrogancy? Before you say yes, pastor, before you say that, do you hate those things in yourself? Oh, because it's easy to have the outward eye. It's easy to look at the world and say, I hate it all. I hate all the evil and all the pride and all the arrogancy. But turn it inward and see those things brewing inside of you and you can start to ask yourself, how much do you fear the Lord? How much do you cherish wisdom? See, because I think a lot of times we've got into this compartment um way of christianity we've got this over here for all of our godly things and then we have this over here for our entertainment this over here for our language with our friends this over here for our language with our christian friends all of that all those walls need to be knocked down and it all needs to be a healthy fear of the lord that's where wisdom is otherwise wisdom is going to mock you how does wisdom mock you you're the fool You're the one that can't get things right. We become the ones that are trying to invent what God has already clearly said in His Word. Counsel is mine, 14, and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. This is where I see the comparisons to Christ. By me, kings reign, and princes decree justice. By me, princes rule, and nobles even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me and those that seek me early shall find me. Now we've had godly leaders. Israel had godly leaders, not many. But there were some kings that ruled well. They did a good job. And the Bible speaks of them in that way. But there are so many more of Israel's rulers that ruled wickedly, with evil intent, poorly. Let me tell you one of one of them. His name is Rehoboam. Check this guy out. He did the right thing and sought counsel. He got all the older generation together and he got all the younger generation together. He got them separate. talked to them. What do you think I should? How do you think I should rule? The older said, you be the servant king. You serve the people and you'll have much respect and the rate of obedience will be higher. He considered it, went to the younger crowd. And the the younger crowd said, no, rule with an iron fist. Demonstrate your power because it is power that God has given to you. And he chose the latter and he ruled without any mercy and it divided the kingdom. And that's how Israel got into its divided state. He sought counsel, but he chose incorrectly. That's why it's not enough, folks, to just know truth. You've got to be able to do what the truth says to do. Then you'll see the benefits. I like verse 17. I want you to see what it says again. I love them that love me. Who's me here? Wisdom. And I would say those who love the epitome of wisdom, which is who is Jesus Christ. You love the Lord. He will bless you. And those that seek me early shall find me. Now, many people think early means before the sun gets up, you know? you got and there are there are great men of old who would spend the first three hours of their day in prayer i remember reading about that i, I don't remember who it was it might have been mueller or, or em bounds i'm not sure but in their pursuit of fellowship with the lord they would separate these long periods of time in the wee hours of the morning for prayer and i as a naive college student as miss gilbert just reminded that 10 years ago thought that's how I'm going to have spiritual success. So if I get up early tomorrow morning, three hours before, I'm guaranteed whatever prayer life that I have for the next three hours, it will be successful. You know that never worked? That never worked. Because it's not about the time of day that you seek the Lord. It's the time in your life that you seek Him. Early, in your youth. And whether it's in your physical youth when you're a young age or in your Christian maturity when you're young, you seek the Lord early and often and you will find Him. This is why people get wrapped up in all this bad teaching because they seek intellectualism. They, teach to ascend, they They seek to ascend to a higher plane of knowledge. I'm guilty of this. This is a great book here that I have demonstrated to you. I can't even sell it to you if I wanted to because I don't have any other copies except this one right here. But all of this, you know why I call it good and set it up in this way? Because it teaches this correctly. There are books that are much thicker than this and have many more edition, uh, volumes in their collection that malign what this says. I was reading Charlie, Dr. Charlie Bing's review of a book called Fi, uh, Free Grace, Five, free grace theology, five ways it destroys the gospel. And Dr. Bing was writing a response. And it's so funny. He left a review on a book that he went on to write a book against. I just thought that was so, such a power move. I'm not even going to write a, I'm not, a review will not suffice. I'm going to write a book and link how you can buy that book. <laughs> I just thought that was good. But he wrote a very thoughtful humble review of this book, and he came down to this. The problem with this book is it does not adhere to the text. It does not stay contextually sound. And that means verses are pulled out to support the Reformation, to support the Nicene Creed and all these different things. That becomes the measurement of truth. What did the church fathers say? I don't care what the church fathers said. I want to know what the father said. Amen? What does he say? But the reason why people do not find wisdom is because they're not looking for it they're looking for somebody else to constantly prepare their meals spiritually let's conclude here in the next four verses riches and honor are with me yea durable riches and righteousness my fruit is better than gold yea than fine gold and my revenue than choice silver this is this is a This is a direct attack on the prosperity gospel movement that says that God desires for you to have nothing but material health and wealth. The wisdom that is offered by God's word is greater than whatever money you could get. And there are men who are very educated when it comes to the market and their ability to discern and start a business, and that's good. But I know a lot of those men, they're Christians. Not everybody, but they're Christians and they love the Lord and they use their money in a way that pushes and promotes ministries that are clear in the gospel. God will bless that. But there comes a time when that money dries up. Seen that too. Seen it too. My fruit is better than gold, 19. Yea, than fine gold. And my revenue, than choice silver, 20. I lead in the way of righteousness. In the midst of the paths of judgment that I may cause those that love me to to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. Last week we talked about how wisdom is morality's partner, and I didn't necessarily get to this conclusion. But morality is knowing the difference between good and evil. We all know that. Jesus says, you who are evil, you know how to be good to somebody else. How much more will your Father bless you who is in heaven, who does know evil? That's in Matthew chapter 6 as he's going through... The last part of the sermon on the mount man knows the difference between right and wrong the problem is he chooses wrong he chooses it it's not like he can't choose anything else he could do good things but he chooses to do the wicked things and the thing that i want you to focus on here when we're talking about that it's the key to success wisdom is the key to success is this last verse right here that i may cause those that love me to inherit substance you inherit things of great value, and it's not material wealth. Although it may be that, in some cases, that's not the substance. You want to know something that you can inherit of substance? It's what you can take with you beyond the grave. And that is life and life eternal. And we need, we need, to, we need to know how to inherit that. How do we get that? By trust in Jesus Christ. We've inherited eternal life. He's promised us that. He died. He rose again. The will has been executed and now we have everlasting life. Not waiting for us. We've got it right now. Even though we will die physically or be changed at the rapture, we have eternal life. That's something of substance. I want to look at one more thing before we close. Daniel chapter 12. Would you go there with me, please? Daniel chapter 12, it's on page 919, Daniel chapter 12, the vision is closing, Daniel is sorely perplexed by what he's seen. there's an explanation that is being given to him about what he just read, what was just told to him about the Antichrist and the final battle and all of that. And in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 12, we have something very important that is said, going into verse 2 as well. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time, and at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Then we have verse 2 here. And this is where we see the very first use of the word everlasting life and everlasting contempt. That Those two words there for everlasting mean forever and ever and ever. In some cases, it's used to mean forever within a lifetime. But here we actually very clearly see That there is a judgment in which people will rise to everlasting contempt. Which means they'll be in hell. Verse 1 just told us the last three and a half years of the tribulation period will be horrible, but the people will be delivered. That's Armageddon. That's the second coming of the Lord. Then we have verse 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. It's not just many, it's everybody who is dead at that tribulation period, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. This is a very serious statement that clearly says there is a separation. The only separation is the condition in which you spend eternity. That's it. Oh, everlasting life, everlasting contempt. They both last forever. But one is not the same as the other. Then we have verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Those that use the time that they have, the resources that they have, and they submit to Jesus Christ, not for salvation, but in their service and discipleship, they seek wisdom, they will find it, and they will shine bright. That is really important when we think about the time that we have left. That's why I opened up in the beginning about pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest. Jesus God in the flesh was moved with compassion upon the people. We should be too, and we should make that something that actually turns into something that we do, not just something that we feel. That's the key to success. I'm not talking about how you can pay your bills off faster, how you can achieve the greatest health of your life. What are you doing with the time that you have left? And I ask that question to myself, folks. That's a question I ask myself. Wonderful opportunity that we have with the internet and technology and recording and all that. What is it all for? Fame and wealth and recognition. I don't care if we darken my face and change my voice and no one ever knows my name again. I want the word of God to be the thing that goes forth. And I want that for you. But you have to want to do it. Let's close our Bibles. There's a lot to unpack there. I would encourage you to take a look at that passage again. And if you have Esword and you use something called the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, TSK resource, it does a very good job of portraying the attributes of wisdom to the attributes of Jesus Christ. Maybe I'll print that out for the next time that we're here because I wasn't able to get to it tonight. But there are, there's comparisons everywhere. I want to share with you how you can know for sure that you have eternal life. Look up here. If this hand were to represent you and me, I'll let my wallet represent sin. We've all sinned. I'll let this hand represent Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Our sin, it separates us from God, and there is a payment. There is a wage for our sin, and it is death, eternal separation from God forever, in everlasting contempt. There's no amount of good deeds or works we could do to pay for our sin because the wages of sin is not good works Someone has got to die god he loves us very much and this is how he demonstrated that love if this hand represents jesus christ for god so loved the world that's you and me that he gave his only begotten son that's jesus christ that whosoever believeth in him which means to trust should not perish but have everlasting life he paid the price of our sin fully on the cross. He rose again three days later. And he says, all of those who simply believe on him, they receive the free gift of everlasting life. That is true biblical repentance. It is a change of mind. From what you were thinking about Jesus Christ, you now believe that he has paid for your sin, died and rose again. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads, are bowed, and eyes are closed. If you're here tonight and that makes sense, I would like to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, that made sense tonight. I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I now know I'm going to heaven. I would love to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up? That doesn't save you. It just lets me know if I raise a hand. Heads, are bowed, and eyes are still closed. Those that are on the internet, the same invitation is to you. If that made sense to you today and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, would you write us an email or leave a comment? We'd love to reach out to you and connect. And as we close, I am praying for you. I'm praying for myself that we would go out into the Lord's harvest. The field is white already to harvest. Seek wisdom. You will find it. Father, thank You for the time that we have tonight. Bring us back here safely. On Sunday we pray for ranch tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray.